Section 19 of History of Australia and New Zealand from 1696 to 1890. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. History of Australia and New Zealand from 1696 to 1890 by Alexander and George Sutherland. Tasmania, eighteen thirty seven through eighteen ninety. One Governor Franklin. Sir John Franklin, the great Arctic explorer, arrived in eighteen thirty seven to assume the governorship of Tasmania. He had been a midshipman under Flinders during the survey of the Australian coast, and for many years had been engaged in the British Navy in the cause of science he now expected to enjoy as governor of a small colony that ease and retirement which he had so laboriously earned but his hopes were doomed to disappointment although his bluff and hearty manner secured to him the good will of the people yet censures on his administration were both frequent and severe for during his rule commenced that astonishing decline of the colony which continued with scarcely any interruption for nearly thirty years two flood of convicts after the cessation of transportation to new south wales in eighteen forty hopes were entertained that tasmania would likewise cease to be a penal settlement and under this impression great numbers of immigrants arrived in the colony but ere long it became known that tasmania was not only to continue as before a receptacle for british felons but was in fact to be made the only convict settlement and was destined to receive the full stream of criminals that had formerly been distributed over several colonies the result was immediately disastrous to the free settlers for convict labor could be obtained at very little cost and wages therefore fell to a rate so miserable that free laborers not being able to earn enough for the support of their families were forced to leave the island thus in eighteen forty four whilst the arrival of energetic and hard-working immigrants was adding greatly to the prosperity of the other colonies tasmania was losing its free population and was sinking more and more into the degraded position of a mere convict station lord stanley the british colonial secretary in eighteen forty two proposed a new plan for the treatment of convicts according to which they were to pass through various stages from a condition of absolute confinement to one of comparative freedom and again instead of being all collected into one town it was arranged that they should be scattered throughout the colony in small gangs by this system it was intended that the prisoners should passed through several periods of probation before they were set at liberty and it was therefore called the probation scheme the great objection to it was that the men could scarcely be superintended with due precaution when they were scattered in so many separate groups and many of them escaped either to the bush or to the adjacent colonies three franklin's difficulties the feelings of personal respect with which the people of van diemen's land regarded sir john franklin were greatly increased by the amiable and high-spirited character of his wife 
lady franklin possessed in her own right a large private fortune which she employed in the most generous and kindly manner her counsel and her wealth were ever ready to promote prosperity and alleviate sufferings and yet in spite of all this personal esteem the experience of the new governor among the colonists was far from being agreeable before the arrival of sir john franklin two nephews of governor arthur had been raised to very high positions one of them mr montague was the chief secretary during his uncle's government he had contrived to appropriate to himself so great a share of power that franklin on assuming office was forced to occupy quite a secondary position by some of the colonists the governor was blamed for permitting the arbitrary acts of the chief secretary while on the other hand he was bitterly denounced as an intermeddler by the numerous friends of the ambitious montague who himself lost no opportunity of bringing the governor's authority into contempt at length montague went so far as to write him a letter containing amid biting sarcasm and mock courtesy a statement equivalent to a charge of falsehood in consequence of this he was dismissed but sir john franklin who considered montague to be a man of ability magnanimously gave him a letter to lord stanley recommending him for employment in some other important position this letter being conveyed to lord stanley was adduced by montague as a confession from the governor of the superior ability and special fitness of the chief secretary for his post lord stanley ordered his salary to be paid from the date of his dismissal and franklin shortly after this insult to his authority suddenly found himself superseded by sir eardley wilmot without having received the previous notice which as a matter of courtesy he might have expected in eighteen forty three he returned to england followed by the regrets of nearly all the tasmanians two years afterwards he sailed with the ships erebus and terror to search for a passage into the pacific ocean through the arctic regions of north america he entered the ice-bound regions of the north and for many years no intelligence regarding his fate could be obtained lady franklin prosecuted the search with the wife's devotion long after others had given up hope and at last the discovery of some papers and ruined huts proved that the whole party had perished in those frozen wastes four governor wilmot sir eardley wilmot had gained distinction as a debater in the british parliament like governors bligh and gipps in new south wales wilmot found that to govern at the same time a convict population and a colony of free settlers was a most ungrateful task a large proportion of the convicts after being liberated renewed their former courses police had to be employed to watch them judges and courts appointed to try them gales built to receive them and provisions supplied to maintain them if a prisoner was arrested and again convicted for a crime committed in tasmania then the colony was obliged to bear all the expenses of supporting him and amid so large a population of criminals these expenses became intolerably burdensome it is true that colonists had to some extent a compensating advantage in receiving free of charge a plentiful supply of convict labor for their public works 
but when lord stanley ordered that they should in future pay for all such labour received they loudly complained of their grievances was it not enough they asked to send out the felons of great britain to become tasmanian bushrangers without forcing the free settlers to feed and clothe them throughout their lives after the completion of their original sentences to all such remonstrances lord stanley's answer was that tasmania had always been a convict colony and that the free settlers had no right to expect that their interests would be specially consulted in the management of its affairs sir early wilmot found it impossible to obtain the large sums required for the maintenance of the necessary police and gales and he proposed to the legislative council to borrow money for this purpose those of the council who were government officials were afraid to vote in opposition to the wishes of the governor who therefore had a majority at his command but the other members six in number denounced the proposed scheme as injurious to the colony and when they found that the governor was determined to carry it out they all resigned their seats for this action they were honored with the title of the patriotic six about this time mr gladstone seceded lord stanley in england as the secretary of state for the colonies and as he had shortly afterwards to complain that in reporting on these and other important matters sir early had sent home vague statements for the purpose of deceiving the imperial authorities the governor was recalled but he was destined never to leave the scene of his troubles for two or three months after his recall he became ill and died in the colony five denison and the transportation question on the arrival of the next governor sir william denison in eighteen forty seven the queen reinstated the patriotic six and the colonists encouraged by this concession vigorously set to work to obtain their two great desires namely government by elective parliaments and the abolition of transportation it was found that between the years eighteen forty six and eighteen fifty more than twenty five thousand convicts had been brought into tasmania free immigration had ceased and the number of convicts in the colony was nearly double the number of freemen in all parts of the world if it became known that a man had come from tasmania he was looked upon with the utmost distrust and suspicion and was shunned as contaminated on behalf of the colonists a gentleman named mclaughlin went to london for the purpose of laying before mr gladstone the grievances under which they suffered at the same time within the colony mr pitcairn strenuously exerted himself to prepare petitions against transportation and forward them to the imperial authorities these representations were favorably entertained and in a short time sir w denison received orders to inquire whether it was the unanimous desire of the people of tasmania that transportation should cease entirely the question was put to all the magistrates of the colony who submitted it to the people in public meetings the discussion was warm and party feelings ran high there were some who had been benefited by the trade and the english subsidies which convicts brought to the colony and there were others who desired at all hazards to retain the cheap labor of the liberated convicts these exerted themselves to maintain the system of transportation 
but the great body of the people were determined on its abolition and the answer returned by every meeting expressed the same unhesitating sentiment transportation ought to be abolished entirely accordingly it was not long before the tasmanians were informed by the governor that transportation should in a short time be discontinued but earl grey was now preparing another scheme for the treatment of convicts they were to be kept for a time in english prisons after they had served a part of their sentence if they had been well conducted the british government would take them out to the colonies and land them there as free men so as to give them a chance of starting an honourable career in a new country it was a scheme of kind intention for the reformation of criminals that were not utterly bad while the english government would keep all the worst prisoners at home under lock and key but the colonies had no desire to receive even the better half of the prisoners they were afraid that cunning criminals would sham a great deal of reformation in order to be set free and would then revert to their former ways whenever they were let loose in the colonies but earl grey was resolved to give the criminal a fair chance ships filled with convicts were sent out to the various colonies but the prisoners were not allowed to land in eighteen forty nine the randolph appeared at port philip heads but the people of melbourne forbade the captain to enter he paid no attention to the order and sailed up the bay to williamstown but when he was preparing to land the convicts he perceived among the colonists signs of resistance so stern and resolute that he was glad to take the advice of mr latrobe and sail for sydney but in sydney also the arrival of the convicts was viewed with the most intense disgust the inhabitants held a meeting on the circular quay in which they protested very vigorously against the renewal of transportation to new south wales west australia alone accepted its share of the convicts and we have seen how the reputation of that colony suffered in consequence six the anti-transportation league the vigorous protest of the other colonies had procured their immunity from this evil in its direct form but many of the ticket-of-leave men found their way to victoria and new south wales which were therefore all the more inclined to assist tasmania in likewise throwing off the burden a grand anti-transportation league was formed in eighteen fifty one and the inhabitants of all the colonies banded themselves together to induce the home government to emancipate tasmania immediately after this the discovery of gold greatly assisted the efforts of the league because the british government perceived that prisoners could never be confined in tasmania when by escaping from the colony and mixing with the crowds on the gold fields they might not only escape notice but also make their fortunes and there was now reason to suppose that banishment to australia would be rather sought than shunned by the thieves and criminals of england seven end of transportation in eighteen fifty tasmania like the other colonies received its legislative council and when the people proceeded to elect their share of the members no candidate had the slightest hope of success who was not an adherent of the anti-transportation league after this new and unmistakable expression of opinion the english authorities no longer hesitated and the new secretary of state the duke of newcastle 
directed that from the year 1853 transportation to Tasmania should cease. Up to this time the island had been called Van Diem's Land, but the name was now so intimately associated with ideas of crime and villainy that it was gladly abandoned by the colonists, who adopted from the name of its discoverer the present title of the colony. Sir Henry Young, formerly governor of South Australia, was appointed to Tasmania in 1855 and held office till 1861. During this period, responsible government was introduced. When the Legislative Council undertook the task of drawing up the new constitution, it was arranged that the nominee element, which had now become extremely distasteful, should be entirely abolished and that both of the legislative bodies should be elected by the people. After Sir Henry Young, the next three governors were Colonel Brown, Mr. Duquesne, and Mr. Weld, all men of ability and very popular among the Tasmanians. After the initiation of responsible government in 1856, various reforms were introduced. By a very liberal land act of 1863, inducements were offered to industrious men to become farmers in the colony for the purpose of opening up the country by means of railways great facilities were given to companies who undertook to construct lines through the country districts an active search was made for gold and other metals but in spite of these reforms the population was steadily decreasing owing to the attractions of the gold producing colonies no great amount of land was occupied for farming purposes and even the squatters on the island were contented with smaller runs than those in the other colonies they reared stock on the english system and their domains were sheep farms rather than stations indeed the whole of tasmania wore rather the quiet aspect of rural england than the bustling appearance of an australian colony but the efforts to throw off the taint of convictism were crowned with marked success and from being a gale for the worst of criminals tasmania has become one of the most moral and respectable of the colonies of late years tasmania has made great advances her population has risen to about a hundred and fifty thousand and her resources have been enormously increased by the rapid development of her mineral enterprise tin mines of great value are now widely spread over the west of the island and gold mines of promising appearance are giving employment to many persons who formerly could find little to do there is room for a very great further development of the resources of tasmania but the colony is now on the right track and her future is certain to be prosperous the tasmanian natives were of a different type from those of australia having more of the negro in them they were even ruder and less advanced in their habits, although not without qualities of simplicity and good humor that were attractive. When white men first landed in their island, there were about 7,000 of them roving through the forest and living upon possums, but by the year 1869 all were gone, but a man and three women. In that year the man died, and one by one the women disappeared, till at last with the death of Truganina in 1877, the race became extinct. End of section 19